Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Hey there. Today we're chatting with co founders Anatoly Gellumson and Sarah Baker. They are the co founders of Fast Democracy. You can check out Fast Democracy online, or there should be a fancy new mobile app that just dropped maybe a week before this podcast goes live. So you can also check that out. Anatoly would sure appreciate any feedback you have. We talk a little bit about Fast Democracy, what it is, what it does, how you can track topics, bills at the federal and state level. And Anatoly and Sarah do a great job of kind of going through some of the different use cases, both for the end consumer as well as uh, some of the businesses that they support. We talk about their founding story, a little bit about how they think about growth, where they're going. And then towards the end of the conversation, we talk a little bit about what it's like to be a co-founder couple who are also married and any of the dynamics that may come into play there. Really enjoyed this conversation. Sarah and Anatoly are a ton of fun to talk to. I hope you enjoy it as well. Find them online. Tell them thank you for uh, coming on the podcast. And thank you so much for listening. This episode is brought to you by Fullstack PEO. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need, not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Fullstack PEO. Fullstack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that help founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find out more at fullstackpeo.com. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Sarah Baker and Anatoly Gellumson, who are the co-founders of Fast Democracy. Anatoly, Sarah, welcome. Thanks for having us, Mike. Thank you. Why don't we start with a quick pitch for Fast Democracy? Oh, okay. We love doing this. So Fast Democracy is a legislative analytics platform designed to put the government at your fingertips. So what that means is we allow you to track legislation, share it with your friends, really follow along and make sure you're holding legislators accountable. And and I feel like you may have just exited your busy season. Is that true? I guess totally can talk a little bit to that. I don't know that there is a non-busy season for government work at this point. Exactly. So honestly, a lot of our work starts when elections are over. Uh, we do, we help you track legislation and stay up to date on what your government is doing so you can hold them accountable and so you know what's going on. Yeah, people invest so much time and energy and their heart and passion in elections, but when it comes to good governance, we also have a responsibility. And so that's where our platform really comes in to make sure that we have the tools we need to have a transparent government. So let, let's take that one level deeper from a user experience perspective. If I log into Fast Democracy or if I, if I go to Fast Democracy, what am I doing as a, as a voter consumer? So if you log into Fast Democracy, probably the first thing you're going to do is type in some topics that interest you. And then from those topics, we're going to pull up legislation that would be of interest to you in relation to those topics. So sort of like, you know, like Amazon will suggest products to you, we'll say, well, you might be interested in these bills because you're expressing this sort of interest. And from there, you can track the piece of legislation and follow it throughout the whole process. And throughout the process, you'll see things come up like, oh, this bill has a public hearing. 
well, then you as a user could show up and testify, or in COVID times, you could virtually testify, or you could send a letter to your elected representatives, or you could place a call, or you could get a bunch of your friends to place calls to say, we object or we support this legislation. And then you can track it throughout the entire process so that you know all the points of inflection to make changes, rather than waiting till the very end where the news does the splashy story saying this horrible piece of legislation passed, you can actually get in there and shape the process as a user on Fast Democracy. So that's what we really guide people to throughout our platform. Got it. Awesome. And is that federal, state, municipal? Is that like all levels of government? We are currently in Congress and we are in all 50 states. And we also plan to expand to the local level. But yes, so for now, it's Congress and all 50 states. You say yes for now, like that's not a massive achievement right there. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember the day he did the 50 state expansion. It was, I mean, he didn't do it in a day, obviously, but it was an exciting moment for us in our company. I imagine so. Well, let, so let's hit that. Let's hit kind of, well, actually, why don't you start with why Fast Democracy, where where this company idea come from? And then as you're telling that story, maybe lead us up to kind of today with some current stats and kind of where the company is today. Yeah. So we really are one of those companies that got its start around the kitchen table. Um, I think the thing that distinguishes us a bit there is when we started Fast Democracy, I was working as a legislative director for a nonprofit. And in that position, I had to track hundreds of pieces of legislation for my job. And the tools that I had at my disposal were basically a really antiquated bill tracking system and a handy dandy spreadsheet. And, you know, hundreds of bills later... I was a little frustrated. And so I complained, I think as all good spouses do, to my husband, who's Tolly. And that's sort of how it got its genesis. Because after that, he jumped in and said, I think I can solve some of this problem for you. And once he put the theoretical pen to paper and started programming, I came up with the longest honey-do list known to mankind. And that's what became <laughs> Fast Democracy. So that's how we got our start. It was really built around that need that we were experiencing. And then, you know, we realized talking to our friends, talking to other people in government, talking to lobbyists, talking to other nonprofit leaders, that this is a huge gap. Um, and we could really design a tool that would fix it. And so we got to combine, um, you know, Tolly's background in theoretical physics and my background in politics and really make something that we hope will help the world. Awesome. And then uh, current status, hit, hit us with any sort of, I, you already said Congress, 50 states, hit us with any sort of kind of vanity metrics, could be number of users, revenue, funds raised, size of the team, any anything to paint a picture for folks listening as to where you're at? Yes. So we've been growing a lot recently. We've hired salespeople and they've been doing an amazing job and we've, and we've been having like our strongest months of revenue, uh, over 10K in, in monthly recurring revenue, which was huge for us. Uh, and so the way our model works is basically that we are selling uh, to, to like nonprofits, business associations, companies. But then we also have a free version for everybody to use, for everyone who is basically interested, interested in legislation. We are helping them keep track of that because if you don't do that, then you'll lose out on many opportunities to make a change. It's really growing fast. And I think one of the exciting things is, you know, I still work in 
the legislative lobbying sphere. And it's really funny to walk into meetings and, and have people say, oh, did you see this thing on Fast Democracy? And I get to say, yeah, I, I saw it being made. You know, <laughs> so um, <laughs> that's a really fun part of the process. That is, uh, that's awesome. That's going to be real satisfying. So talk to me a little bit. Let, let's zoom out and look at the market that you live in. There's There are a number of places that people can get a view on, you know, specific political candidates. I think that's probably, at least from my layman's perspective, and and I'm sure this is, Sarah, this is where your 10,000 hours is. So you probably have a different view, but from my perspective, there's no shortage of places that I can go to research a specific candidate. There's a few places like I can go to the specific government webpage for a bill and, you know, read the bill if I want to do that. But there, like, there's probably fewer places where I can get a, a good Cliff Notes version of it. Talk to me a little bit about when you guys think of competitors in the space, who or what comes to mind? Yes. So we have two kinds of competitors. They are the nationwide ones and uh, they are the statewide ones. The nationwide ones, we have things like Legiscan, Build Track 50. They are pretty good with Congress. They really are not good with state legislation. So they give you inaccurate information oftentimes. They don't, they don't give you the full picture. Um, there are many companies basically that do Congress very well, but then uh, when you go to the state level, it's not very useful, let's say it this way. And then there are state competitors and they tend to be, you know, small systems that are antiquated. So we are from Missouri and the one in Missouri was built in like 1998. And then only recently it got revised because of the pressure that we put on them, basically. Yeah, and that's really the story when you go down to the state level is it seems like the technology is antiquated. And the solutions that are proposed there aren't really solutions that also engage with users when it comes to usability and collaboration and things that we really value in the workforce now. Um, And so I think that's in part where we're finding our niche is replacing some of that antiquated technology with a platform that says, yes, you're engaging with legislators and you're getting the information you need to go ahead and lobby, but you're also able to engage with community members. Um, And that's where we're finding more and more growth. Got it. Where does all of this data come from? That's definitely a totally question. We scrape everything. Go ahead, hon. <laughs> yes, pretty much. So like every five minutes, we go to all 50 state websites and get as much information out of there as possible. And then we couple it with news stories, with tweets, and anything else that could basically be useful to you. We have our algorithms that parse through the text to make that more accessible. Basically, we're doing all those things to save people some time and save on reading time, save on research time, make things indexed, make things searchable. So that's what we are about. I mean, the other problem when it comes to government, and I think everyone's experienced this when you go to a DMV, it's just incredibly bureaucratic. Um, And so the information is out there. It's just not organized in a way we think, and it's not organized in a way to make change. And, you know, to be honest, my jaded view of government says that that's a little bit on purpose or a lot of it on purpose, you know? And so our goal really with this platform is to say, We can get all the information from the state websites. We can harness that information to actually make it powerful. And here it is at your fingertips so you can take an action with it. 
And then I'm just super curious about then, so you can see interaction with that data over time with users as a user. And I apologize, I haven't had a chance to use the platform yet, but as a user, do I have a way to enrich that data set? Like, can I submit like, oh, here's an interesting article on this topic or anything like that. So other future users can see that. So what you can do right now is you can make notes and you can also share those notes. So say you are a nonprofit, you can pull up your list of priority legislation with your notes on them. And then you can even have other website visitors subscribe to that list. So they get, you know, information on priority legislation from say the ACLU or a different organization straight to their inbox. So we do that. We do not have currently a thing where you can upload news articles. That being said, I think we're doing a pretty decent job with, you know, getting the news articles and getting the tweets. And we do have the social features, of course. So you're able to engage with legislation. And, you know, if there's something that interested you in particular, um, you could share that bill on your social platforms and engage with folks that way as well. And we have a comment feature before the le- um, below the legislation. So if you want to leave a comment on a bill, you can say, you know, I completely oppose this legislation. It'll set Missouri back 50 years and leave that comment as a public comment below the bill. And it has been fun as a user to engage with that and see some of the comments that folks post below the bill. Because you know, you can gain a lot of knowledge through crowdsourcing something. And sometimes we'll have someone who will jump in and say, like, this is me as a teacher, and this is my thought process on it. And then I can sort of backtrack and say, oh, would that person be someone who might be interested in coming to testify if I'm able to contact them in some way? Or is it a story that I could, you know, find another news story about it and use in, in my lobbying efforts? So there is engagement in that way, too. So you can't, this is not a video podcast, so so you can't see my skeptical face. But did you just say that the internet has meaningful comments on content? Yeah. Because that violates everything I've been led to understand about internet comments. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it depends on the platform for sure. Maybe right now, because uh, Fast Democracy is a real good hub for some legislative nerds, we have some good comments going on. I could see it getting worse as things go forward. But at this moment, I've actually found the comments useful. And yeah, I'd say that's a complete aberration from the majority of other um, spaces that have comments, and I desperately seek to avoid them. (laughs) Nice. So fast forward, let's go five years. If you are successful with Fast Democracy, what does that success look like? Yeah, I mean, I think there are several different ways to approach that. I think internally from a team standpoint, it means that we have a growing and and stable team at Fast Democracy, a stable core team and a growing sales team and innovation team. So I think, you know, we want all of those things to be a growing company. But then I think it also means that our presence in all 50 states is uh, well established and also you know, that we come to front of mind when people think about how they can access their government and make it transparent. So that's where we're looking to be. Exactly. I would like to add that it would be amazing if we were like a big hub for all kinds of government information, basically from the congressional level to like the school district level. If all that information were there and easy to find and you wouldn't have to spend a ton of time to figure out if some 
hearings that might affect your life are coming up. You know, right now, how are you getting this information? There's literally no way unless you hit up all the different websites that could have some relevance to you. And it would be amazing if there were like one central hub where you could go and find everything you need in order to successfully influence your government. I would just say in a more idealistic way, part of what Fast Democracy wants to be engaged in too is making sure that we have an informed civil society and that you don't have to work too hard to make that happen, that people feel like their government is accessible and that they can come to us as a resource hub to get some of that information they need to feel like the government is for the people. How do you think you do that for me as an individual user? Is it is it just I, I go to Fast Democracy and I, I feel informed? How do you get so the, the key thing that I'm keying off of there in your answer is the word engagement, right? That I, I feel like I can engage with my political system because right now I do not feel like I can engage with my political system unless I wanted to actually run for an office or something like that, which God forbid I, I would not do. So like how how do you go from just be in a place where I can be informed, which is a great first step. I'm like, like that, that is a necessary first step to a place where I feel like I'm a part of the solution or tracking the solution or, you know, it, it, some other method of engagement. Yeah, that's a great question. I think first there is this sort of public education element to it of you can't engage if you feel like there's this huge barrier to entry. And so we want to make sure that that barrier to entry is taken away. I think that that's step one to make sure the information is at your fingertips. But then step two on that broader engagement question of making sure that people understand where they have influence, that's something our platform is really built around too. So you don't miss a moment in the legislative process and we don't hide the ball on you either. You know, like we make it clear what's important and what's not so that you don't feel like you're just sitting there observing, but you recognize, oh, this is coming up for a hearing. Here's what I could do. Oh, this is, um, you know, moving to the floor calendar. What does that mean? We try to break down those terms. So it's not like you have to have a PhD in poli sci or run for office or be in the government itself in order to understand this. So I think it really happens with two things. It's, it's first letting people know like this information is accessible to you. And second, letting people know, and here's where you can be impactful in taking action. Um, because right now, I think far too many people feel like the only power we have is to vote. And that really puts the citizenry, I think, in a fairly weak position where we could be engaging throughout the process. But in order to make that happen and still like live our lives and be sane people, we've got to make sure that it's easy to do. And that's, you know, in part why we have fast democracy and why we're really committed to keeping that free version too, um, because it's core to our mission. Awesome. Good answer. Can I switch gears on you guys a little bit? Yeah. Yes. Do you have product market fit? We have been doing some really good sales and Sarah has been helping with that. So as she mentioned, she still is in the state capital every day uh, during, sorry, every day during sessions, she's there. And uh, basically she's the one who ensures that the tools we have are tools that are actually helpful to people in the lobbying position. We have lots of customer interactions uh, and yeah, so all those people are making our product much better and we've been making some really good inroads with sales as well. And I will say people in the legislative space are very eager to talk about the problems they have. 
and we're there to listen. You know, like we want to create a product that works well for folks and really addresses the concerns that they've had year over year and sometimes decade over decade. And some of those things are so easy to do, you know, like we've had clients who have really struggled with reporting out about their legislative wins simply because it's like, Oh my gosh, now I have to download this thing and mess with the spreadsheet and yada, yada. And we can make that easier um, and take away that pain point. So we're, we're trying to listen really hard um, when it comes to that. And then because we're a married co-founder team, totally has no lack of information of this isn't something I like, this needs to change, that sort of stuff. Um, and again, like, I don't know that he'll ever finish the honey-do list, but we'll keep adding to it. And, you know, especially during these times of COVID, we try to take some long walks together. Um, and those often turn into walking brainstorming sessions about wouldn't it be great if, and Tolly's just like, I'm finishing the app. Why don't I work on the app? And I'm like, oh, but what if we did this instead? You know, so I think he has to pull that back sometimes. But we have a pretty good source into that through, through our networks. Anatoly, I feel your pain, man. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a developer as well? Uh, recovering. Yeah. Anatoly, Sarah, do you guys uh, have any favorite swag of uh, Fast Democracy? Yes, we have these Fast Democracy socks where we have our little eagle on them. Um, and we really love those. Yes, it's a ridiculous looking eagle. It's it's worthwhile. You'll, you'll like them. Why, why socks? I have no idea why I chose socks. I basically was looking for something that I could get totally as a present is how we started down that swag train. And I got him these Fast Democracy socks a while ago now. And I presented it to him and he freaked out because it made the company so real. <laughs> so that's kind of been our, our fun thing going forward has just been the, the funky Fast Democracy socks. Nice. And, uh, and, and anything, do you, do you provide like uh, like new customers with Fast Democracy socks? We don't yet, but like, you know, there's interest. Awesome. You're the you're the second set of socks, I think, in as many podcasts. I want to say the last the last company I interviewed said socks as well. So that's oh, super interesting. just preparing for winter. Maybe that's the- maybe that's maybe that's it, yes. So so bad of a gift that they're already good, so it's kind of this whole it's socks are kind of cool. I I think it works. All right. Well, if you need socks for your startup, uh, you can find them at fuelmerchandise.com. Mention startup competitors, get 10% off your first order. So walk me through the organizations and not-for-profits that you work with that, that you're selling onto the platform and how they use it. I love the Anatoly, the ACLU example you gave earlier in, in terms of how they can kind of comment and tag, and then I could subscribe to their you know, kind of their feed if I if I want their particular take on something. How do you guys see that side of the marketplace unfolding over the next few years? What what are some of the the things that you think you'll be building out there that will allow those organizations to have even maybe better influence or a more educated, you know, subscribership or followership? Yeah, I think the tough needle to thread for nonprofits has been, of course, affordability. That's at the front of their mind. But then also How do they take it from, we have all of this great information to, we have volunteers showing up on the streets, showing up in state capitals, writing testimony and coming and being a part of our organization and, and, you know, and sometimes donating too. So like, how do you thread that needle 
of making sure you're syncing up all of those areas of a nonprofit. And through the website widget, for example, allowing people to subscribe and then allowing nonprofits to have that information about who is subscribing, that helps build their list for them. It also is a great tool so that they don't have to constantly communicate via email to say, pay attention to this, pay attention to this. Their people are getting automatic updates to know when a hearing is coming. So we're taking out a lot of work from that process as well. And I know Tully probably wants to elaborate on this. Well, basically, our goal is for them to feel very connected to both the volunteers and also to what's going on in the state capitals. And that's what we are about. We basically help them to maybe save money on hiring a lobbyist because we keep them informed on what's going on so they don't have to have people on the ground doing that for them. And we also help them be engaged with volunteers and Honestly, that's probably also the future of the product. We need to build on that and we need to make sure that uh, we have not only the information and the alerts, but we also have more engagement opportunities, more ways to contact legislators, all those things that could really make a difference for a nonprofit. And let me also add that, you know, right now with Congress relatively likely being gridlocked with a Democratic president and a Republican Senate and a Democratic House. So I think we really will see a shift in focus towards state politics in what nonprofits will be doing. And we are there to help with that, basically. Got it. What's been the most... I Actually, I'm going to ask you each this question separately what's been the most difficult part of launching this startup i mean from a technical perspective of course um, many things like for example that 50 state expansion were just very time intensive you know you had to go state by state and get all the information from that state website into our platform and that took a lot of development time but also I think one of the difficulties is just how do we motivate people who might not be so interested in politics that they spend all their time in the state capitals? How do we motivate those people to, you know, follow along with legislation and be more engaged? And um, that is a constant challenge. We have outreach tools for that. We do uh, have obviously a system that makes it relatively easy to find legislation. But that was one of the difficulties, I think, in, you know, we we can't only provide that information to the public. We also need to make sure that the public knows about it and uses it and that it gives them some value. So that is one of the challenges, I would say. Yeah. And I think the biggest challenge for me, I mean, one of the things that we had to learn on our team was just to make sure that we were putting our expertise forward in a way that, for example, we had to realize relatively quickly that Midwest Nice isn't necessarily the best sales strategy. Um, And so we had to get some expertise on what it means to be a salesperson and learn more about the sales industry overall, because we came into this really as, here's a political nerd, here's a data nerd, excellent, it will be beautiful. And then we're like, Uh, Well, of course, everyone will love it naturally. No, there's marketing, there's sales, there's all those things that we didn't necessarily have the background in. But now we're feeling really good about where the team is with that and really leaning into the expertise of our team members. 
And then the other thing that's probably like the great. Wait, wait, wait. Before you move off that one, were there any kind of key books, resources, mentors, anything that stands out to you as you were figuring that out? You know, what you just described is many, many founders. (laughs) You know, they see it so clearly in their head. They think everybody else will see it. And and they they also need that same help of like no you gotta you have to pitch this thing market it sell it so anything stand out from your experience recent experience in 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 that topic yeah I'm not I mean there are a few advisors slash mentors that you know definitely digital sandbox folks in Kansas City for example we want to give a big shout out to and their help that they've given us but I would also say what has been most helpful to us as a team is our willingness to be extremely reflective. You know, we're a co-founder team, not just a married pair, right? So we have a lot of experience having long conversations, but um, our other co-founder is a close friend and we have prioritized our friendship and our ability to be reflective and honest with one another about where our gaps are. Um, And, you know, that has led to, I think, growth and introspection for us in a way that might not be possible if you lead into, I'm sure we can do it all ourselves. We looked for our gaps too. And I think that that was helpful and sort of not necessarily writing the ship, but just putting us on a faster stream and getting us where we needed to be. So that's what I would encourage most is just that reflection and also taking the advice of advisors and shaping it to be your own for sure, because it's still your product. And also recently, I want to add, so we've been making some hires recently, which we are very excited about, of course. But also, this also might be one of one of the pieces of advice that I would give to startups. Basically, I know it's a risk. I know it's, it is, you know, it's a financial risk. It can be expensive, but also, you know, the expertise that new hires might bring into the company can really take it to a new level and it can pay for itself if you do those things. So sometimes it's important to not only try to save as much money as possible, but also to, you know, invest that money into something that will bring the company to the next level. Yeah, that's a great one to point out because I feel like when we started this, we felt very conservative about our resources trying to give us the longest runway possible. But obviously, the way that you truly extend your runway is to sell product, being reflective and realizing like sales is where we really needed to boost and then getting in some great salespeople, I think has been kind of a revelation to our company and uh, had totally not kind of pushed in that direction on on spending, I don't know that we would have necessarily gotten there. Even though it feels scary, it's really important to take that jump. I love that insight. Awesome. Okay, Sarah, I rudely cut you off to go down that sales tangent. You were going to share kind of a a second difficulty outside of kind of sales positioning. Oh, I was just going to say that, um, you know, you would feel this as a recovering developer as well. Probably the one that is... uh, persistent, although it's the most fun for me too, is just that there are so many directions we could go, so many pathways to be successful, so much excitement about how our growth could look and and what different boxes we could get into. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that Tully and I enjoy most talking about, but it's also something that's like, okay, turn it off, pick a direction, weigh your pros and cons, go, you know, like, um, it's not always so useful to brainstorm, brainstorm, brainstorm when you can pick a direction and then open the brainstorming again later. So I think that that's been a little bit of the struggle because it's like, I want it all now. There's so much we could do. And really finding your 
niche though is so important when you're starting out as a startup. Love it. All right. I want to switch gears on you again. Uh, and this is, uh, you're allowed to say this is a no-fly zone if you'd prefer not to talk about this, but I talk to a lot of co-founders. I talk to very few co-founders who are married. Are you guys okay if I ask you a couple of questions about that? Sure. Uh, all right. Any problems turning that off? Like, does it become too much sometimes that you're kind of always together, always working? Or is that okay because you guys you know, love each other and love the business. And so that's not a problem. Yeah, I don't think it's really honestly been that much of a problem in part because we have very different lanes within the business. What Tolly does is something that I cannot do, right? And the expertise that I have on the political side is something that Tolly does not have. So we have like really separate lanes at work and we enjoy collaborating together. And we, you know, it's why those walks turn into planning sessions is because we like talking about this. And so you know, I think fast democracy is unsexy as it sounds is a little bit of a love language for us, you know, like we like it. And um, we like spending time on it. And we like moving forward with it. So it hasn't really been a problem for us. The other thing we're good about is also taking breaks, though, and saying like, you know, this weekend, we're not gonna work. um, And what that's gonna look like and get some time away from it, because that's how you really reset and make sure that you're still being innovative. But in the critical interest of transparency. I'm wondering how my husband feels about this question. <laughs> totally. Well, I feel like Sarah is better at, uh, at you know, switching off than I am sometimes. So yeah, I, I mean, right now we're also in this critical phase where we are basically like two weeks or so from launching our mobile app and I'm working like crazy right now, right. but uh, um, yeah, I wish I could. I wish I took more breaks than I do at the moment. Yeah, we also have completely ridiculous sleeping schedules. So like he <laughs> likes to come to bed at 3 a.m. and I like to wake up at 7. So obviously I go to bed way earlier than that or earlier than 7 sometimes too. Like I'm a morning person. He's a night owl. So we get those like, it's almost like having two separate offices because literally the office hours are so different. That's interesting. Uh, that That's really interesting, actually. It makes for a very good customer support, though. If people email when you PM, they still get an answer normally. Round the clock support. I like it. Exactly. As you think of scaling the business, you're hiring right now. You have another co-founder. What, if anything, are you two doing to ensure that your personal relationship doesn't interfere with or become a burden to any employees or co-founders? Yeah, I mean, we are super aware that when you have a pair of married co-founders, there are advantages and disadvantages. And I think one disadvantage is, you know, another co-founder or another team member is never going to feel quite as close, right, as the person that you're married to. But we've got a lot of good, open communication. And I think that that's what we emphasize with people that we bring on. Like, we want to be able to discuss the business. We also want to be able to know each other as friends. And I think that that helps just, you know, making sure the lines of communication are open and making sure that we are building really intentional relationships. So so it doesn't feel transactional with the people that we hire is a priority for us. When you, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm struggling to articulate this when you guys, so I, I'll do it this way. When I fight with uh, one of my co-founders here at work, Michael, it looks very different than when I fight with my wife at home. Uh, So do you guys have different rules for engagement 
if it's a if it's a business disagreement versus if it's family disagreement like it, or do you interact do you do you guys notice a different in interaction when it's uh about the idea of the business versus uh something within the marriage i don't know i feel like we don't fight that much about the business but i might be wrong on that sarah might correct me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we don't. I, I think that that is accurate. Actually, we don't fight much about the business. We're pretty in sync. I think that there certainly would be different rules of engagement when it comes to making sure that we are collaborating open and honestly with our colleagues. And you know, to that environment, we intend and do bring a very like professional way of engaging in discussions. But I think that when it comes to something like on, you know, on the product development timeline or something like that, that Tolly and I disagree with, it doesn't normally take the, on the like tenor of a marriage argument, you know, right. It's not as, it's not as personal in that regard. Um, so I think there's a little bit different way of communication, but also we just haven't run up into too many fights on the business um, because we talk about things all the time. So we're very much on the same page. Let me also add that we have a third co-founder and we have employees. And basically, if we disagree on something, that then we can always go to those people and get the support for, for our position. So one way or the other, if there is a disagreement between us, I think one of us just gets outvoted and that's fine. That's true. I just can't think of an example where it's happened yet. But I'm sure there was some marketing stuff or something that. like that. Nice. Well, it sounds entirely too functional and healthy. <laughs> I, I probably like right after this, we'll get into our huge. <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> All right. Well, Sarah, Anatoly, thank you so much for, for taking the time. If people want to learn more about Fast Democracy or if they want to get in touch with one of you directly, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I guess we'll each do our email. So mine is Sarah at fastdemocracy.com and Tolly's is? Anatoly at fastdemocracy.com. You might have to look up how to spell it, but you can also just go to fastdemocracy.com and you'll get the contact information there. You'll be able to download the app. You'll be able to sign up. So basically, yeah, let us know, get in touch. And as mentioned, we have around the clock support. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Anatoly is just remembering that there's a J at the end because what Germany? Like no one understands. But um, yeah, we we very much look forward to connecting with other folks who are interested in this. And uh, we love getting emails that are both, of course, the we like your product, but we also like the hey, I was thinking about, and maybe that's just the chief innovation brain. But I love hearing that back from folks of oh, I'm using it this way, but I was wondering if I also can. We love that sort of feedback too. Well, and it, I think from a timing perspective, might might also be worth ending on. There's probably a mobile app that just got deployed if you're listening to this right now, uh, because I, I think we're probably going to deploy this podcast uh, three weeks from now. So, Anatoly, there you go. Yeah, there will be a mobile app by then. There definitely will be a mobile app by then. <laughs> I say that right. a good dose of humor because he came to bed last night being like grumble, 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 mobile app. Um, but I know it's on the agenda actually for today for Apple. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you both so much. I really enjoyed this. If you're thinking of launching a SaaS product, startup competitors can provide data on your closest competitors, survey potential users, or provide other product validation services. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.